Anybody want to go fishing? All right, here we go. I'm not real good at this, so you people, you might be in trouble, okay? Here we go. It, it shouldn't hurt too bad. All right, here we go. One, two, three. Okay, let me see. Okay. Come on, Mock, help me out, dude. All right, here we go. Here we go. Okay, now we're going to try up in the balcony. No. People are leaving right now. Hey, uh, well, that's it. Um, you can go home. No, I'm joking. Um, hey, how many of you like to go fishing? Anybody? Anybody like to go fishing? Yeah. Well, um, I do too. I'm not the greatest fisherman, but I enjoy it. And uh, our family, uh, every single summer, we take one week of vacation to Crossville, Tennessee, and we rent a pontoon, and we go fishing every single day. And uh, the lake that we go to is Lake Dartmoor, and it's real beautiful. They'll have a picture uh, up here uh, of it. And my dad uh, is a big-time fisherman. He's fished for many, many, many years, and uh, he loves to fish. And uh, he's taught us a lot. But several years ago, we were fishing, and we got to the point where uh, when we went out the first day, we didn't catch anything. The second day, we didn't catch anything. We went six days. We didn't catch anything whatsoever. So we finally got to the last day uh, where we were getting ready to fish. And, you know, people always have opinions on where you should fish. For example, my wife Jennifer was like, well, we should fish in the shade because that's where the big fish come from. And my dad was like, well, we need to fish at the reeds. This area had some reeds because there would be some big bass uh, there. My kids were like, we don't care if we go fishing. We just like to go swimming, so we don't even have to do it. And my mom was like, well, I'm just going to sit here and eat a sandwich, so I don't care where you guys go. <laughs> and uh, finally, I thought to myself, well, I think where we should actually go is we should go to this area that had a lot of rocks. And since I was driving the pontoon, that's what we did. We went to the area that had some rocks. And so we cast, and we didn't get anything for about 30 minutes. And my dad and my wife are looking at me like, I told you we should have went to the reeds. I told you we should have went, you know, to uh, this other area. And so finally, uh, I said, well, let's try it one more time. We cast out, and all of a sudden, my line hit something. And it started going, and I yanked, you know, real quick, and it fell off the line. Now, my wife then says, well, you're not yanking hard enough. And I'm like, who's the fisherman here, you know? And she's like, me. I'm like, all right. And uh, so we do this a second time. It hits again. I yank it. My dad's like, yeah, I think you really need to yank a little harder. I'm like, Dad, come on, bro. Help me out here, you know? And so finally, I did it a third time, and it caught, and uh, it got close, but it came off the hook. So I was like, I'm not going to listen to them. I'm just going to cast one more time, and I'm just going to let the fish run with the bait. And so I did it, and I let it go, and they're like, yank, yank. I'm like, no, no, no. And then all of a sudden I waited, and then I pulled it in, and this is what I caught. I caught right here a 2-pound, I mean 10-pound, I mean 20-pound, 20-pound tilapia uh, is what I caught. Now, I share all of that with you 
Because this is what I want you to understand, is that your life is a fishing trip. Your life and my life is a fishing trip. And God calls us to do that trip with Him rather than doing it by ourselves. And that as we're fishing, we might have eyes that would look to fish for people who are hurting and are far from God. And if your life is a fishing trip, then the reality is, folks, you should have some great fishing stories. And this kind of leads me to my big idea this morning, and it's this. Your fishing stories matter. That's your first fill-in in your program or on the app. That your fishing stories matter. Today I want to talk to you about the ultimate fishing story that was ever told in Scripture. It's found in Luke chapter 5. Luke is in the second half of the Bible in the New Testament, in the third book there. And it begins with a little background, with one day Jesus going out to uh, talk and to teach and to preach to a group of people. And he does this on the Sea of Galilee. I think we actually have a picture of it there. And the Sea of Galilee is 13 miles long, and it's 8 miles wide. And there were 30 different towns all along the sea. And Jesus is talking to this large crowd of people when he notices they keep pressing in on him in such a way that an idea comes to his mind. If we keep doing this, no one is going to be able to hear me because there are thousands of people He said, no one's going to be able to hear me, and so he improvised. And starting in verse number 1, this is what we learn of the story. In Luke chapter 5, One day, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the Word of God. And what's the next two words? He what? He noticed. Okay, just everyone down on the main floor. What did he do? He... He noticed. Okay, balcony people, don't let me down. What did he do? He Yeah, he noticed. He noticed. And he noticed what? He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge for the fishermen had left them and were what? What were they doing? Washing their nets. They were washing their nets. Folks, ancient fishermen, if they were washing their nets, you know what that meant? They had a bad day. They had like a really, really bad day. They didn't catch anything. Zilch, zero, nada, nothing. They hadn't caught squat. Those of us that fish, how many times have you ever gone fishing for a long period of time and you didn't catch anything? Raise your hand. Don't lie. God knows, okay? Yeah, exactly. Now, you may have, you know, donated blood to mosquitoes. You may have gotten sunburned. You might have got sick, but you didn't catch anything. And it happens to everyone who fishes. So here are these professional fishermen. They fished all night long, and they didn't catch anything. And they're ticked off, and they're angry, and they're mad. You know, if you study ancient fishermen, what you'll learn is that they spent most of their time mending and washing their nets. Because they didn't have days where they had everything. If some of you might remember the movie Forrest Gump, and uh, he has a shrimp boat, and he goes out, and he didn't know how to do anything, and they didn't catch anything. And that's the way it was with ancient uh, fishermen. They would many times go out and not catch anything. 
because they had these nets and they were weighted on the end and they would throw them out in the most shallow area and then they would pull up and catch the fish. Now, when you fished in the Sea of Galilee, you always fished at night because during the day the fish would leave the shallow areas, they would go to the deepest areas and your nets would not work. But no professional fisherman would ever think about going to fish during the heat of the day on the Sea of Galilee. I mean, during the day, the fish are deep, like I said, and there are no bites. But then Jesus shows up, and look what happens, starting in verse 2. Jesus, again, what did he do? He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. Now, this is kind of interesting within itself also, because Jesus is not a fisherman. His trade was a carpenter, and now he's telling them what to do. It goes on to say he told him to push it into the water, so he sat in the boat and he taught the crowds from there. Now, now what's going on? Why does this happen? Well, Jesus is trying to preach to thousands of people, and what he realizes is they're pressing in on him because they can't hear. So, he turns to technology. He realizes that there is some acoustics to the sea, and the Sea of Galilee is uh, surrounded by different mountains, so there could be better acoustics if he went out into the water and he spoke to the crowd rather than staying on the beach so that thousands could hear. Now, here at the JAR, one of the things that we've tried to leverage all the time is technology. We have a website. We have a Facebook page. We record all of our teachings. We were one of the first churches in the community to have an app. By the way, if you do not have the JAR app, you should download it. There's great ways for you to be able to listen to the teaching and to connect that way. You can watch funny videos. There's a way you can read the Bible. There's uh, a way you can give financially. You can take notes. But what Jesus did is he looked at the technology around him, and he used it, and he leveraged it, and we'll do the same thing. You know, Jesus, what he did was he just took a very ordinary kind of tool, looking at the acoustics around him, and he did something extraordinary with it. And my question for you this morning is this. One question to ponder is this question. What in your life is ordinary that Jesus wants to turn into extraordinary? What is that thing in your life that's just kind of an ordinary thing? It might be a hobby. It might be an interest. It may be something else that you do every single day, but God actually wants you to use it to do something extraordinary with it. What platform do you have What influence do you have? What fish are swimming around you that nobody else is connected to but you are and you could reach them? Now this morning, I think there are three types of people who fish or three types of individuals in this auditorium. The first one is what we call seekers. Uh, In the jar, one of the things from the very first day is we've always tried to create an atmosphere where people could come and not necessarily have any commitment to Christ whatsoever, not be connected to God whatsoever, but they're seeking and interested in spiritual things. Maybe you attend regularly, uh, you're checking this out, but you've never walked across the line of faith. We love seekers here because the reality is 
All of us were seekers at one time. We didn't come out of the womb going, Hallelujah, Jesus, okay? We all came out uh, not having that relationship. And I'm so glad that if you're a seeker, you're here. And I want you to know that if you're seeking, if you're not sure of the things of God, that you matter to God and you matter to us and we want to encourage you to continue to seek. Now, the second group of people that are present here uh, are people who are believers. There are many of you who believe in Jesus. You've given your life to Jesus. But you've never really stepped across the line of fishing for other people. You might come to church. You might read your Bible. You might pray. You just have never really fished for anyone else. You've just been kind of drifting without fishing for others. You've never been able to put your story together in such a way that you could share about what your life was like before Christ, what happened when He came to you, and then what your life has been like since then. That you got hooked by Jesus, and now you want to share His love with anyone who would listen. For some of you, that is you. Now, there's a third group of people uh, that are what I call fishermen or fisherwomen. You honestly are constantly, intentionally looking for people who do not have a relationship with Christ. You always are thinking about, how can I share my fishing story of how I got hooked by God with somebody else? No matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, you're looking to see that. But what's interesting to me to so many people in the church who come Sunday after Sunday after Sunday is that they believe in fishing. They are a believer. They've just never fished. I mean, we talk about fishing. We buy fishing gear. We sing fishing songs. We come to the aquarium called the church and we like to see other fish. But we never fish. Rarely, if ever, do we do that. And in two weeks is the Super Bowl of Christianity, and the question becomes, are you going to do any fishing before it comes? Will you invite anyone? Will you connect your story with theirs? So here's another question I simply want you to ponder. What would happen if Jesus walked into your boat? If Jesus walked into your boat, would he notice that you've been fishing? Or would he notice that within your boat, quite honestly, there's been no fishing done in it for a very long time? You go to your friend's house, or you go to work out with people, or you hang out with some of your kids' activities, but you never try to fish. So what would that look like? You know, for me, one of the ways that I found my tool, my boat, to be able to use that is that I love sports. And so uh, I enjoy hanging out with guys who have a similar interest. And uh, since the very beginning, since we moved here to Muncie, I've always tried to purchase different sporting uh, tickets to invite guys to come. Whether it's a high school game, a college game, a pro game, uh, you know, the pro games cost too much sometimes. But anyway, uh, I'll go to Colts games, Pacers games, whatever it is. I mean, I really got to love you, and you got to be really lost to go to a Colts game, okay? Um, 
but I'll spend the money because I want to see people who are far from God come to Him. I've done this with workout groups before. Guys that I run with who might be far from God. Guys that I work out with. I'll be with that group of people, play basketball with, be able to engage with them, and I'll fish. I've done this at my kids' events. Whether it's ballet or soccer or swimming or track, I always have my eyes open looking to see who might be needing to be hooked by the one who knows them best and loves them most, but they've never given him a shot. And so my question for you is, what about you? What's your boat? What is that particular thing that you could use to leverage a relationship with someone who's far from God? Maybe it's in your workplace. Maybe it's in your neighborhood. Maybe it's a kid's activities. Whatever it is. Whatever it is, what I'm encouraging you today is stop sitting in the boat and actually fish. Now, one of the interesting things is, is I've gone fishing before by myself, which I don't do very well, and I've gone fishing with a guide before. And when you go fishing with a guide, there is one rule. You all know it if you've ever fished. Don't tell the guide what to do. Don't guide the guide. But in our story today, Jesus does something very interesting. He goes to this professional fisherman, Simon Peter, who's a fishing hawk. He's a guide. And Jesus, on the other hand, as I said earlier, was a carpenter. I mean, like he's into a hammer and nails and wood and fixer-uppers. He knew nothing about fishing. And yet, he has the audacity to come up to Peter, who is the professional fisherman, and to tell him what to do. He tells the guide what to do. He guides the guide. And in this story, when this happens, all of a sudden, the tension comes and the drama comes, and it's like, say, what? Now, we want all of you to practice that, okay? The drama has come, and in your highest pitch voice, we're going to say what? One, two, three. Say, what? Yeah, exactly. And so it comes here, and so they're stepping into this boat, and Simon Peter thinks that they're just hanging out together because, you know, that's what they were doing. But then, notice how the conversation changes after Jesus stops preaching. It says this, When Jesus had finished speaking, preaching, teaching, He said to Simon, Now, what's the next two words? Go out! He says, go out. And where does he say? Go out where it is what? Deeper. Go out where it is deeper. And you're like, what is he thinking to say, go out? I mean, he's a carpenter. A carpenter is telling a fisherman how to fish. And Jesus says, now I want you to go out into the deeper. And what's the next two words? And let down your nets to catch some fish. Now at this point, I imagine that Simon Peter is thinking to himself, Jesus, are you kidding me, dude? Like, seriously. I've cleaned these nets. The nets are already cleaned. We're preparing for tonight. We've been working all day, getting our net ready, and we're exhausted from last night. We're hoping to sleep just a little bit. And I mean... 
We've got the seaweed out. We've got all the beer cans out. You know, we've thrown all that stuff away. And now you're asking me to lower the nets again in the middle of the day when it's 100 degrees and no one is even out on the sea? Now, I want you to know what I just shared with you, I think, is the PG version of this conversation. Because we know something about Peter's character. He was rude and crude and socially unacceptable. He had that bent toward him. He was foul-mouthed. He was uneducated. He was born on the wrong side of the tracks. And yet Jesus invites him to be in the inner circle. In fact, the first four people that Jesus calls are all fishermen. Andrew, which was Peter's brother, Peter, and then James and John. And he gives these fishermen, the carpenter gives commands to them, and here's the first one that he gives about fishing. He says, go out and drop the nets. He says, go out now and drop the nets. In the highways, in the byways, wherever, drop the nets. Wherever you go fishing, in your neighborhood, in your place of work, at your kid's school, when you're at the store, when you're in a restaurant, when you're at the hospital, go out and drop the nets. Then look at the excuse that Simon comes up with. He says this, Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and we didn't catch a thing. You know what I think he's doing right now? He's got some doubts. Do you ever doubt the things of God? Do you ever doubt when He asks you to do something? God will challenge me in different ways, and I have doubts. And here's the challenge, that even when we have doubts, when we're not so sure that God can still use us, Peter comes and he's doubting. He's going, God, I fished all night. I didn't catch anything. But if you say so, I'll let the nets go out again. He's like, it's the heat of the day. It's 100 degrees out here. But if you say so, God, I'll let them out again. And he obeys, even in the midst of his own doubt, because he's already seen they didn't catch anything. But he says, I'll do it one more time. And he lets out the nets. And in verse 6, this is what it says. And this time, their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. I have a feeling they're all like, say what? (laughs) Like, what's going on? We just did all of this last night and the best part of the day and everything, and we did it at night, and now you have us doing it right in the middle of the day, and we're doubting that it's going to happen. And now, look, all of this is taking place. And then Simon Peter goes on, or the Scripture goes on. When Simon Peter realized what happened, think about that. You're a professional fisherman. The boats beside you are so full of fish that they're starting to sink. If I'm that person, I'm thinking, 
How do we get the fish from here to the shore? How are we going to make the money to get it from here to there? But Simon Peter doesn't do that. Even though he has doubts, it says he realized what had happened. He fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh, Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Folks, we're talking about the biggest catch in history. We're talking about a miraculous catch. And it happened because Simon said, even though I may have doubts, I'm going to listen to your command to go out and drop the nets. Today, if you're a Christ follower, if you're a Christian, your life and my life should be a fishing story. And we should, at a minimum, be willing to go out and drop the nets. That's his command. Here's the second command that uh, Jesus gives. He says, go out and drop the nets. And secondly, he says, you fish, I'll catch. Now, that should help all of us. You fish, I'll catch. You see, folks, the responsibility is not on us to catch the fish. Our responsibility is simply to fish. We fish, Jesus brings in the catch. Now, some of you are sitting there and say, well, Chris, I just don't like to fish. I don't like to fish, and what I would rather do is just be an example. I'll be a holy example of who God is, and then that will draw the fish. Say, what? Example? What if that would have been Jesus? I'm going to be an example to everyone, but I'm not going to tell anyone. I'm just going to be an example of living the commandments of God. Wouldn't have done anything. You see, you have to have words to be able to share. Now, obviously, I want you to know, the example is really, really important. People don't follow people if there isn't a good example. But the reality is, it's not just the example only. It's the example plus words. And you need your words that say, I was swimming in this body of water, and I was drowning, and things were not good, and I was lost. And I took the bait, which was Jesus, and I got hooked into his love, and I've been hooked ever since, and my life has changed, and my family has changed because of what he's done in my life. And here's what happened, and here was the catch. But you've got to share the story. You've got to share it, and we'll talk about that more next week. So here's this miraculous catch, and then look at what happens next in the text. Jesus said to Simon, would we read those next three words, everyone out loud together? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. From now on, you will be fishing for people, and as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. Maybe the greatest commandment that God gives to every single person in this room and in the world is what Jesus said. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I can't tell you how many times in the first 27 years of my life I was petrified to share anything with anyone outside the church. I was really good staying inside the church. 
I like the fishbowl. The fishbowl's safe. It feels good inside the fishbowl. But I just had a hard time of getting over my fears to share my fishing story. Honestly, up until the age of 27, the only people that I thought mattered, folks, were people in the church. It was the church people that mattered. I felt safer with them. And the reason was because I was simply afraid. Afraid to tell anyone. I was afraid I was going to say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing, be too pushy, not have enough knowledge. And I felt more safe in the church. And at the age of 27, I had this just kind of moment where God came to me and said, Chris, why aren't you fishing? And I had to admit, I'm just afraid. And then I felt this prompting in my spirit. It wasn't audibly in my uh, head, uh, but it was just in my spirit. That just kind of said, what is the worst thing that could happen if you fish? And then I thought about it. Someone could tell me no. Someone could tell me no. Do you know how many times my mom told me no by the time I was three years old? And people told me no all the time. And so eventually what I realized was I'm just going to be told no, but that's okay. And so I started doing it. And I got some no's and no's and no's. But then all of a sudden I got some yeses too. And some of you are here because of my fish story that I shared or someone else's fish story that was shared with you and you were able to say yes. And you know what's powerful about the jar is we have some amazing stories of God catching people. Of people like fishing a little bit and then God doing an amazing catch. And the problem is for some of us, we've stopped fishing. Folks, one day my clock is going to wear out and yours is too. And I'm telling you, God is going to ask you this question. He's going to ask, tell me about the fish that you reached out to. And you don't want to be able to say, honestly, I just stayed in my boat. Honestly, I just stayed in the fishbowl. You want to be able to say, here it is, Bill, Joe, Jill, Erica. Folks, every single fish matters to God. And if it matters to God, then it's got to matter to us. Big fish and little fish, strong fish and weak fish, skinny fish and not so skinny fish, black fish, brown fish, fish with green hair, fish who have big noses, fish who have beautiful noses. By the way, if you have a beautiful nose, God loves you, but I don't like you. Because look what God gave me. It's just bad. It's horrible. Folks, every fish matters to God. And the question is, do you have any fishing stories? You know what's kind of interesting is that when you think about fishing, we take fish from life to death. But when we fish for people, we take them from death to life. And that's what God wants to do in your world. He wants you to be a person who fishes 
to help people go from death to life. Because this is the truth, folks. There are literally people who are dying around you. They are. They're dying. And God's calling you, not me, not Joel Osteen, not anybody else. God is calling you to fish. I'd like to close by simply talking to all of you who are Christ followers, just for a second. Because there was a theologian that gave a couple of questions years ago, and I want to ask you these today. And here they are. Who was the last person you led to Jesus? And when was the last time you tried? If you're a follower of Christ, when was, who was the last person you led to Jesus? And when was the last time you even tried? Folks, you know, I, I dream about the day where the jar will become a place where everyone's a fisherman, everyone's a fisherwoman. And I wonder, like, what would happen if that took place? What would happen? The greeters right now are going to come down and they're going to give you something. I'll talk about it here in just a second. It's a little bracelet. But I want to talk to you about a fishing story to close with. A few years ago, my wife Jennifer began to fish for a fellow soccer mom by the name of Shauna. Now, truth be known, Jen didn't know anything about soccer. Our kids have chosen sports we have nothing, we have no knowledge of, soccer and swimming. And she didn't know anything. The only thing we knew is that when the soccer actually came, you guys can start passing it out. Go ahead. The only thing that we knew is that when the girls scored, we were supposed to stand up and yell, Goal! And that's what we did. That's the only thing we knew was to stand up and to yell, goal. Well, eventually, over time, Shauna actually started teaching Jen some soccer, and then there were some other moms uh, who we've been able to reach out to as well that taught Jen some soccer. And over time, the two of them together would be on the sideline, and some of the things that they said to the refs, I mean, I'm really sad. I mean, they just would go off and yell and scream, and they would get louder and louder and louder, and they would embarrass me. And they would embarrass Shauna's husband, John. Now, Jen's risk to go fishing created an amazing fishing story. And I want you to look at this video to see the catch that God My name is Shauna Jiro. My name is Jen Bunch. Shauna and I met when our two girls were playing soccer together and we were new to the team and they had already been on the team and so she helped me kind of understand what was happening and how to navigate soccer and so we just started talking a lot on the sidelines about soccer and then started talking about life in general and got to know each other that way. I even asked her, I was like, what does Chris do? And um, then that's when she said, do you know what the jar is? Oh yeah. She's like, oh, he's a pastor at the jar. I'm like, oh, right. 
And so then, after she found out what Chris did, we started talking about church in general mm -hmm. and experiences that we had both had in church settings. So after we had been discussing church at uh, the soccer sidelines, for off and on for a few weeks, mm -hmm. I thought, well, I feel like based on what she's telling me, she would really enjoy the atmosphere and the teachings at the JAR and it would be a really great environment for her kids. And so I just texted her one day and I said, hey, Shauna, do you want to go to church tomorrow? It was actually like a Saturday evening. Mm -hmm. So there was really short notice. Um, but I just thought, well, I, I mean, I'm just going to ask her. So I texted her and said, do you, are you interested in going to church? And she texted back immediately. Sounds good. My kids, it was perfect because they would want to sit with me during all of the teachings at other churches. And now just drop them off upstairs that are ready to see Jordan and Shiloh. And it was, it was a great experience. It was um, affected my life in many, many ways. Um, because of how God worked in my life and in our family's life and in Shauna's life, mm -hmm. Shauna was baptized mm -hmm. and then her dad was and my mom the same and day. her mom was and uh, there's just been so much beauty that has come out of that. So even if you're nervous about reaching out to someone or it might seem weird or you think they are going to think you're weird <laughs> um, it's definitely worth it um, because of all that we would have missed out mm -hmm. on um, if we didn't take that walk yeah Uh, the greeters uh, passed out to you a little bracelet, and on it, it says, you matter to God. And uh, my wife, Jennifer, uh, years ago, we did something similar with a little bracelet, and I thought, we need to do that again. And she wore this little bracelet, and it was a reminder to her to pray for Shauna every single day, to connect in the soccer sidelines, and to eventually invite. And it took a period of time. But she did that. And so I want to ask you to put yours on right now. And so if you could put your bracelet on, I've got mine. And I want to challenge you to wear it for the next 14 days. For the next 14 days, when you look down at your wrist, you can remind yourself, you know what, I matter to God. God loves me. God, God thinks of me all the time. But then I want you to remember that as you look up and you look around, that all of the fish that are around you, they really matter to God too. And so as you do that, you would then find ways of knowing how you can invite and connect, and especially with Easter coming, for you to invite them to come so that they don't do Easter alone, but they do it with the God who loves them. Because this is what I know, folks. When you go fishing with God, you never fish alone. And he says, let's go out, let's go into the deep, but you fish and I'll do the catch, but I want you to know, don't be afraid. Don't ever be afraid. 
I don't know about you, but I'm so grateful that I got hooked by the love of God. And I want to share that with others. I hope you do too. Let's pray. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would inspire us, challenge us, convict us to fish for people. God, help us to go out and drop the nets and fish. And then to trust you to bring in the catch. I'd just like to ask a question to all of you right now, where you're at. How many of you have somebody in your life, a friend, coworker, neighbor, whatever that is, who have not fully experienced the love of God in their life? You can look at it and you can say, you know what, they're not connected to God, they're not connected to a church, they're not connected to His love. How many of you could just raise your hand right now and say, I know one person who's a coworker, neighbor, friend, someone in my family, someone you love who's not there? Hands everywhere. Let's pray for those folks. God, I pray right now for whoever that person is in our circle of influence, in the sea of life who are swimming and who need to hear your love. God, I pray that our fishing stories would be invitations that we could share with other people, that we could lift them up, And as we fish, God, we know that you would draw them in. God, I pray that as Easter comes, you would help us to do our best inviting, that we would fish, we would go into the deep water, and we would know that you are with us, and that we do not need to be afraid. And that we would see hundreds and hundreds that would come on Easter Sunday, and they would experience the love of your Son. Maybe some of you are here for the first time or you've been seeking. You're a seeker. And there's a void, though, in your life right now. There really is a void. You need 